This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So October 2018, our family moved into our new, very old house. And if I were to describe to you the state of the backyard the day we moved in, I might use the term weed tree jungle. I got a witness. So seriously, there were just gnarly, nasty old weed trees scattered individually all over the lawn, dozens of them. And because of all these trees, there was almost no grass in the backyard. Several of them had whole sections, limbs about to fall off, and we didn't do something about it soon. So I vowed to my family that before my oldest son graduated from high school in 2021, which he did this week, I vowed that we would have a backyard with grass. So we went to work. I attacked one tree at a time. Several of you uh, helped out, came over with your chainsaws and helped knock down trees. And sometimes it required professional help. Thank you, Jason Postma. But every time a new tree would get knocked down, I'd get my tools out and I'd dig around where that tree was, get rid of all the rest of the junk, and I'd plant grass. So slowly but surely, over the course of time, less and less nasty weed trees, more and more lawn. So fast forward to this spring, the job's nearing its completion, and I finally get to this group of trees. It was the only group of trees gathered together that I needed to take down. After the trees were removed, um, I'd save them to the end because there didn't seem to be any unhealthy limbs or branches on these trees, but they were ugly and they needed to come down. So the trees were knocked down, and I got my tools out, just like usual, to dig up and get ready to plant some grass. And what I found underground there was this messy maze of tree roots going in every direction, running into each other, thick ones, skinny ones, deep ones, shallow ones hitting each other. I couldn't tell which tree they had come from as they all connected together. So right in the middle of this project, our family, a couple weeks ago, visited our daughter church, Emmanuel Anglican, in the city. And Father Aaron uh, began his sermon with a quote, believe it or not, from a German forester named Peter Wolleben from his book, The Hidden Life of Trees. And I had two thoughts as I heard this quote. The first one was, that's what was going on with that group of trees in my yard. And the second thought was, I am totally stealing this quote for my sermon. <laughs> so here's what Wolobin says. The most astonishing thing about trees is how social they are. A tree can only be as strong as the forest that surrounds it. When trees grow together, nutrients and water can op be optimally divided among them so that each tree can grow into the best tree it can be. The reason trees share food and communicate is that they need each other. It takes a forest to create a microclimate suitable for tree growth and sustenance. So it's not surprising that isolated trees have far shorter lives than those living connected together in forests. So as we continue our series in the book of Acts, this morning I want to draw your attention to a specific theme we're going to see throughout the book. All through Luke's story, there's this inherent togetherness in the early church. 
It starts right at the beginning. The mission that Jesus gave to his disciples was to be his witness says, plural, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Jesus sends them out on mission with two things. He gives them the gift of the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. And he also gives them each other. So rarely in the book of Acts do we see anyone out on mission all on their own. The Holy Spirit is constantly gathering the church together, and he's constantly sending them out on mission together. Peter and John, Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the list goes on. I think that's because just as God designed the trees of the forest, so as he designed his church. It grows healthier and stronger together. So I don't know about you, but uh, the last 16 months for me have felt like just about the opposite of a microclimate suitable for my growth and sustenance. Do you find yourself longing for the full restoration of togetherness in life and in the church? Are you aware of any unhealthy branches in your life? Or maybe, if you're honest, maybe you've experienced a little bit of relief in this season. Because life together, even life in the church together, is messy. That's because people are difficult. People, even other Christians, can be offensive. They can hurt you. So this summer, we're going to see the church struggle with the messiness of togetherness. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be people feeling neglected. There's going to be partnerships that break down. But as they work through the mess and fight to keep the church together, we're also going to see this incredible beautiful Holy Spirit fruit that is born. So this morning, I want to look at three messy but beautiful qualities of that inherent togetherness of the church that we see in the two sections uh, we heard this morning. You can find them both in your Acts journal, conveniently located on the same page, if you have it, page 18. In our first section, the end of chapter 2, Luke is wrapping up his introduction. And I want to look at this section at the idea of beautiful fellowship. And then in the second section we heard this morning, the first missional story after Luke's introduction in the book of Acts, this story of the healing of the lame beggar, I want to look at two more qualities, beautiful partnership and beautiful mission. So we're just going to have time to touch on all three of these briefly. Beautiful fellowship, beautiful partnership, and beautiful mission. And it's my prayer this morning that this might be for you like a re-receiving of the gift that Jesus has given the church, that gift of messy but beautiful togetherness. All right, so let's look at the first section and talk about beautiful fellowship. 
This passage is likely very familiar to you if you've been around here a while. Uh, Out of this passage comes uh, for our church and our diocese our five core values, what we call the five S's. If you've never heard Bishop Stewart's talk on the five S's out of Acts chapter 2, I encourage you to look that up on our website this week and listen to it. Uh, But this morning I want to just look at something a little different from this passage because it's this beautiful picture of the church as it began on the first, on that day of Pentecost. Look at, look at verse 42. Their lives are full of the apostles' teaching, of prayer, of holy communion, the breaking of bread. And then look down at verse 46. They're already worshiping together corporately in the temple and also spending time together in one of those homes. They've already got a robust small group ministry. And Luke tells us in verse 42 that they were devoted to these things. But look what also makes, look what, uh, look what also makes the list in verse 42. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship Now, if I described my faith, I could see myself uh, talking about my devotion to the life of prayer, to the life of worship, to the teaching of Scripture, to Holy Communion. I'm not sure I've ever described my faith as a devotion to the fellowship of the church. I'm not sure I've ever noticed that fellowship was established at the same level of importance in the church with these other critical priorities. And this wasn't some sort of um, selective fellowship based on affinity groups. This is much more radical. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Everybody together. This is that same group of diverse people that were brought together on the day of Pentecost. People who spoke different languages, who came from different nations, who had vastly different life experiences, and likely had a difference of opinions on the significant cultural issues of their day. Yet, they were all together, and they had all things in common sharing their lives, sharing their possessions. So let's just pause here for a second. Have you ever had the experience of reading something another Christian wrote or hearing something they said and thinking, oh, They're one of those people that actually believes fill-in-the-blank. In the last year, the world has offered us a host of dividing lines to choose from. And I'm not saying that the issues of our day aren't important. Some of them are deeply important. But I've been asking myself this week, would I ever let any important cultural issue hinder my devotion to the teaching of God's Word, to the prayers, to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Neither should they hinder 
my devotion to the fellowship of the church, which makes the same list here in Acts chapter 2. So what would it look like for all of us to devote ourselves to one another? What if we flipped the cultural script? What if we intentionally sought out a devoted believer who we knew had a very different perspective than us? What if we just started by engaging them in conversation? Now, there's probably a good way to do that and a not-so-good way to do that. Like, not-so-good might be something like, hey, you seem someone, like someone whose opinions would drive me absolutely bonkers. Let's talk. But what if you sought them out? What if you gave them your time and your friendship? What would the church look like if we all just did a little bit of that? I wonder if the witness of that kind of messy, beautiful fellowship, like we see here, might result in the same thing Luke says was happening in the early church. Verse 47, the Lord adding to our numbers daily those who are being saved. All right, I'm going to switch gears and, and move to our second passage. And now I want to talk to you about the idea of beautiful partnership as we look at this story of the healing of the lame man. So Peter and John are together. They're on their way to worship at the temple. And then in verse 2, a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. So Peter and John encountered this lame man, and it begins this two-chapter-long, epic missional story. First, there's the miraculous healing of this man, and then this draws a crowd and the opportunity for Peter and John to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus, which in turn gets them arrested, and they give another testimony before the council of elders and scribes. And all the while... Peter and John are together. They're side by side. Although Peter, he takes the lead and does most of the talking in this passage. So what's going on? Well, the Gospels tell us how Jesus sent his disciples out on mission in pairs. And all that he gave them was the power of the Holy Spirit and a partner. And Peter and John, they're just continuing this pattern of partnership. But I've got to think that the partnership between Peter and John was at times messy. So here's John. What we know about him from the Gospels uh, has often uh, led him to be described as the first to perceive. John was a deep thinker. And then there's Peter who the Gospels tell us was one who was often the first to act. So do either of those descriptions fit you at all? Do you have a friend who maybe fits the other description? Do they ever drive you nuts? Have you ever read John's Gospel? I mean, he has these long theological musings full of deep meaning. Don't you think Peter ever just wanted to say, John, spit it out! 
And what about Peter? Don't you think he ever got on John's nerves? I think of that story after the resurrection of Jesus, when they catch all the fish, and John the perceiver whispers to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. I often wonder at that moment if John was like, no, it's fine, Peter. The rest of us will figure out how to get all these fish to the shore. You just go on ahead. We don't, we don't really need your help. Thanks a lot. And don't you think they ever got a little competitive? I mean, I've, I've always loved that in the Gospel of John, after the resurrection, they're running to the tomb, and John finds it essential to tell us that he ran faster than Peter. I mean, that's, that's a crucial piece of information for us to have to fully understand the profundity of the resurrection. Gospel partnership can be messy. We get annoyed with each other's idiosyncrasies and weaknesses, and we can get so caught up in comparing ourselves to one another. But here they are, partners on mission, side by side. Here's John, who was perhaps the disciple closest to Jesus, the one who would someday write the book of Revelation. And here he is accepting Peter's role of leadership, deferring to Peter. The Lord had given them each other, and he saw fit to bring these two opposites together. I wonder if the messiness of Christian partnership has caused us to neglect a primary gift that the Lord has given us. Have you ever desired just to see more of a move of the Holy Spirit in your life? I wonder if we'd see more of that if we accepted and also invested in the other gift that he gave us right alongside that gift of his spirit, the gift of Christian partners. I wonder if our lives would look more missional if we invested in Christian partnership. Instead of thinking of mission as this sort of autonomous responsibility that we each had on our own. Christian partners keep us accountable. They cover our weaknesses and they can enhance our strengths. So Father Brett has told this story in a sermon before about this little missional moment the uh, Williamsons and the Krolls had together. We were in Michigan um, getting ready to serve at a wedding and we were at a breakfast restaurant and got in conversation with the waitress which led to this little missional moment and we had a chance to pray for her. The part of the story that Father Brett left out was that he was the one who initiated prayer for this waitress, and I was the one who sat there as Brett did that and thought, oh man, Brett's such a good pastor. He's a better pastor than me. And then I just like heard the Lord give me this little nudge, like, Steve, pray with Brett. And so I did. I deferred to his leadership. And we prayed, all four of us, together for this woman. What would it look like to redevote ourselves to Christian partnership? I think one of the greatest um, obstacles, sometimes one of the easiest excuses, is just busyness. I know it is for me. So what if, what if we found something you're already doing regularly, an activity or a project, and you just invited someone, a partner, 
to do it with you. And then you just found chances to pray together, to talk together, ask the Lord for opportunities together to, to pray for someone else. I wonder how the Spirit might move if we invested more in God's messy and beautiful gift of Christian partnership. Well, his spirit moved in this story of partnership, in this passage, so I want to shift us now to look at the third quality, beautiful mission, starting in verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Does anyone else have that childhood song in your head? He went walking and leaping and praising God. Anyone? That's, that's been in my head all week. This is the first church on mission story in the book of Acts. And it's this beautiful story of a miraculous healing. But it's also a messy story. This is where I love Duke, uh, Luke's doctor brain and all the, all, the, all the details that he gives us. So we know that this man has a congenital condition. He's been lame in his ankles and feet since he was born. We learn later on in the next chapter that he's over 40 years old. So he'd likely have been begging in front of the temple for decades. He couldn't even get himself from one place to another. He had significant need. Luke starts us off with a messy missional story. This isn't like a friend or coworker uh, wanting to get together over coffee to ask you some questions about your faith, as awesome as those missional opportunities are. I think this guy is more like the person outside of your local coffee shop, the one asking for money, the one we've all been conditioned to ignore. Uh, or perhaps, since this actually takes place right by the temple, maybe it's a bit like somebody in your daily life, someone in your workplace or even your church who perhaps has significant need or who's awkward to talk to. Perhaps you've developed an instinct to avoid them. So I've often wondered, this is not in the text at all, but I've just often wondered if John noticed him first. Sort of like Peter walking, storming along like, we're late for worship, let's hurry. And John's like, Peter, what about this guy? And then they direct their gaze at him. Isn't that beautiful? And they ask him to direct his gaze at them. And then the miraculous happens. His ankles and his feet are healed, and Peter pulls him up off the ground. Now, I admit that when I read about physical healing, I can start to disengage 
in terms of application, sort of like, I've never seen anything like that. But I think this, is, this actually goes much deeper than just a physical healing. This is a life transformation. At the beginning of this passage, this man is a broken, lonely beggar outside the temple. But by the end, he's entered into the temple with the apostles as a joyful worshiper of God. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the true miracle, which the apostles are simply continuing, was the life transformation of all kinds of broken people. Sick people, lame people, people broken by sin, addiction, sorrow. They're all finding healing in Jesus' name. Jesus often cast his gaze upon the most broken, lifted them off their feet, and brought them into his family. So don't we all have a miracle story of when Jesus cast his gaze upon us, of how we went from a broken person outside the family of God to a healed worshiper inside the temple. Think about this. If Peter and John had simply given this man money, he would have been right back there outside the temple the next day as he had been for years. But in this story, the miracle, it isn't the end of the mess, and it isn't the end of the mission. Because this man is now a part of that beautiful fellowship that we just read about at the end of chapter 2. He's a part of that togetherness. Others in the church would sell their possessions and distribute the proceeds to him as he had need. Messy, beautiful mission, it might begin outside our walls, but it always continues within the fellowship of the church. As people broken, just like us, are healed and restored from their brokenness. They're lifted to their feet, and they're brought into our family, and we devote ourselves to them, perhaps especially the most vulnerable. So that's it. That's how Luke tells us the story of how the church on mission began. From out of a messy but beautiful fellowship, went two men committed to a messy but beautiful partnership and into a messy, beautiful mission. And that's the mission that we are still a part of today in the church. And Jesus gives us the same gifts, the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, and he also gives us the gift of each other. Amen? Hasn't the last year taught us how much we need each other? My prayer is not that you would carry a new burden or an item to add to your already too full to-do list, but that Jesus, by his Spirit, would give us each an open heart to re-receive the gift of togetherness, the gift of each other, because you've had a lot thrown at you in the last year. 
And God's design is not for you to try to deal with all of that on your own. He's given us one another, and we need one another. Just like he designed the trees of the forest, so he designed his church. You need us, and we, we need you. But to receive that beautiful gift, you have to be willing to step into the mess. For some of you, that might be simple. That might be just finding your way back to church physically. It might be coming back to church regularly. Where the Lord might have a simple, specific, beautiful mess he wants you to step into in the next year. My prayer is that we would flourish as we rediscover the hidden strength of the church, our underground root system, that gift of the messy, beautiful togetherness of the church. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.